0: I'm going to have you return to the 13th chapter this morning of the book of Acts. And as you're turning there, i remind you that if you are one that likes an outline, there's a hard copy in the entryway, or we have the Bible app, uh, the, the version Bible app. And if you have that on the lower right-hand corner, you can push the button that says More. That brings up a separate screen that says Events. you click on Events, you'll see our church, and there's the outline for today and in weeks to come. We've been working through the book of Acts these last several weeks. If you were with us last week, then we were in Jerusalem where King Herod, Herod Agrippa, because of his pride, not giving glory to God, was struck down dead. In Acts 13 today, we're going to be moving back to Antioch. I don't know if you found this to be true. Likely you have. That it is a lot easier to begin something than to end something. When I was a boy, I remember going to the old Ben Franklin stores in these small little towns. We lived in either Wisconsin or Minnesota. And I'd have some Christmas money or some birthday money and and go there. And I'd look on that toy aisle and I would see model airplanes. And you know, those look so attractive on the cover. And when you read the description of them, they sound so simple to put together. But when you open them up, for me, it was virtually impossible to do that, even for my mom and stepdad. And I think that's true of many things in our life. We say, you know, I think I want to pick up playing the piano or or the guitar. And it's one thing to buy that instrument, and it's another thing to give the effort and the time to put into it to actually learn that skill. In our passage today, we're going to see a few men that say, Yes, God, you have called me out, and I want to be all about sharing the gospel with others. And as they begin that launch, they are going to hit all sorts of roadblocks. Yet despite starting, we're actually going to see them finishing as well, unlike so many of the cases of our own lives. So let's look at this passage together here in Psalm, picking up in verse Uh, 1 of chapter 13, our aim is just to kind of read through this passage. As we look at the first three verses, we see here, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Here in the early church, God used these men to be able to take the word of God, prophets to speak it very plainly and very forthright, teachers to be able to take doctrines and be able to support the new believers with them. And then we're going to see that there are five different men within this prayer meeting that takes place in Antioch. The first found here in verse 1 is Barnabas. We know about Barnabas. His name is Joseph. He's the son of encouragement that we read about in Acts 4, verse 36. We saw him emerge again in Acts 9, where Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. And in Acts 9, verse 27, it says there, that he goes and he lends his support to Saul or Paul as he is hanging out with the apostles. A third time we see Barnabas surfaces in the 11th chapter of Acts as the gospel begins to take root in this city of Antioch. The mother church, Jerusalem, sends him out and says, you go check on those new believers. So there is Barnabas. The second man we see here in verse one is Simeon, who was called Niger. The word Niger in Latin means black. and This would have been a, a black man. And so we see within this gathering of the early leadership structure of this church of Antioch, which really serves as a blueprint for us, Highland Crest, we see a multi-ethnic, multi-geographic, these people are from all over the known world at this time, and they are serving here in leadership. The third is the one named Lucius of Cyrene. And then the fourth is a man named Menane, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. If you were with us last week, we spoke about Herod. Herod the Great, yes, in Matthew 2. Herod Agrippa in Acts 12. Here is a third Herod. This Herod that's referred to here is the one who was responsible for taking John the Baptist's head. You'll notice that this fourth leader there in the church of Antioch had a life that ran parallel with Herod the Tetrarch. It speaks to our young people that decisions have consequences, that there are forks in the road, and there is one who took a fork in the road to follow the ways of God that led him to be a leader in the church of Antioch, where there was another that chose different decision and is now responsible for killing John the Baptist. And then we see the fifth person in uh, verse 1, and that is Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Now let's read verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and set them out. Here's the first little point of our passage here today. Worship that leads to service. You see, there was this gathering there in the church of Antioch, likely in someone's home. But they were not content just to gather for the sake of prayer and worship. But that led to action. That led to them going out and actually doing something about it. They were so concerned about praying that it led them to fast. That means they were with going without food because they were so focused on the work of God in their life. Then we see as a result of this that the Holy Spirit says, I want Saul and Barnabas. You set them apart for a special task. Now, there's not a lot of specifics here. I want them. I'm calling them out to my work. It reminds me of Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, where he is called and it says, Go from your country. And your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram didn't say nowhere specifically. The point was he was called just to obey God. Set these two men apart. And then in verse 3 we see something a little strange. That these men in the church laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas. This isn't the only place in the Bible where we see laying on of hands. In the Old Testament we see priests laying their hands on a goat, or a sheep, or a a bull. It was a way of transferring or identifying the sins of a family or of a nation onto an animal. So as they laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas, it was a way of saying, we are with you, you are one of us, now go off. I think as we look at these first three verses, this is a good reminder for us, church family, that yes, we are gathered here for worship, But this is not the end in and of itself. This is somewhat like a mess hall that you are in the military and you have come and you have come to be fed so that you can go back out to battle. We come to a worship service, yes, to worship, to align ourselves in prayer, but to hear the word of God, but to be equipped to go back out into the ministry fields that God has for us. So this leads us to the second chunk of the scripture. And I'll just call that missions that lacks results. Missions that lacks results. Look with me at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Real quick geography. If I had a map, and we're still working out our bugs for this service, as well as streaming, so I don't have a map for you today. But we would see that from Antioch, the Seleucia is about 130 miles. And then west of there is the island of Cyprus. One commentator said that, that Cyprus is like the Bahamas or Hawaii. Now, if you want to go on a mission trip, if Highland Crest wanted to start a mission to the Bahamas or Hawaii, I suspect we would have no trouble gaining support for that, right? And that's where they went. Why would they go to Cyprus? Well, we would read this is where Barnabas is from. And so they go. Look with me at verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, Salamis is a city on the far eastern side of Cyprus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Now, who is this John? We see here that there is a third member of this mission team. This is John Mark. This is the Mark of the Gospel of Mark. And we see here he is accompanying them. Now, so far, they have gone to the eastern side of Cyprus. How's the mission effort going? Let's look at verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, the word Bar-Jesus just means descendant of Jesus. This is a man that we'll find out is a false prophet who is tapping into the name of our Lord People knew that Jesus of Nazareth performed miracles, and they're saying, "I'm from that Jesus." And let us read a little bit further in verse seven. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. There was a man who was the proconsul. All that means is he was the governor of Cyprus and he was intelligent why was he intelligent because he actually wanted to hear the word of god verse 8 says but alamus the magician that is the meaning of his name opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith so can you see what's taking place here a spiritual tug of war you have a genuine seeker in the proconsul that wants to hear the word of god and on one side you have this false prophet a representative of Satan that is trying to persuade him. And on the other side, you have the word of truth, Barnabas and Saul, urging him to receive the message of Jesus. It comes to a head in verse nine. But Paul, or Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Now, this isn't the first time in the book of Acts we've saw someone being filled with the Spirit. He is filled with the Spirit, and he's about ready to say something. Now, what do you think he's going to say? And what sort of tone do you think it will come out in? Well, let's look what it says here in verse 10. You, son of the devil, you enemy of all the righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time, immediately mist and darkness, fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead them by the hand. Being full of the Spirit, Saul, Jewish name, Paul, Roman name, says to this man, you son of the devil. Does that surprise you? That someone full of the Spirit could say such a thing? And if so, I would have you review the ministry of Jesus. Because often he said very harsh and firm things to the brood of vipers, to the people that were making a mockery of the temple. And then you'll notice here that he allows a a temporary blindness to come over this false prophet. Can you think of anyone else in the book of Acts who had a temporary blindness? Saul in Acts chapter 9. And did God use that for good in Saul's life? Absolutely. It could be that Saul's intention here is actually an act of mercy. And maybe, maybe you need to have the lights come out a little bit and you give some thought to what you're actually doing. Whatever happens here, we see good come from it. Because the Scriptures declare here in verse 12, Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. We've seen this pattern throughout the book of Acts, where there is a miracle that is performed that comes alongside and reinforces the gospel message. Same thing takes place here. This false prophet goes blind. Power is seen by the proconsul. He now becomes a follower of Jesus. Let's read the next verse then, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. He took his suntan lotion and his sunglasses, and he went back to Mom. Let's just hit the pause button for a moment, and let us consider the events of these first 13 verses or so. You have this wonderful, may I say, euphoric worship service there in Antioch. God is moving among his people. Two men, Saul and Barnabas, are called out to go out in a gospel ministry to share the gospel. They go 130 miles from Antioch to a coastal town. From there they take a boat to Cyprus, which is 90 miles wide. And there they share the gospel. They try to share the gospel with villages as they go. And no one is receptive until one bam, the pro-council. And when they get to him, they have a full-out satanic attack with this false prophet. And to praise be to God, there is one convert as a result of all their efforts in Cyprus, only to find out that one third of their mission team abandons them and goes back to mama. And this is the work That they were called to. It is a hard work. It is a work that could be very discouraging. In fact, I found it to be true that when a boy or girl, a man or a woman, says, God, I agree with you that my life is yours and it is my desire that you would use it for your glory, whatever it is you want, and you get off the sidelines and you get onto the playing field of gospel ministry, that discouragement and opposition is right around the corner. Listen, at Lambeau Field, the people who get hurt are the people that are on the playing field. Rarely do the people on the sidelines get hurt. It's the people that are right out in in the work. I come across a great little quote here by Kent Hughes in his commentary. Let me read it to you. There is a cost to sincere service for Christ. Never share your faith, and you'll never get looked at as a fool. Never stand for righteousness on a social issue, and you'll never be rejected. Never walk out of a theater because of a movie or play is offensive, and you'll never be called a pig. Never practice consistent honesty in business, and you'll not lose the trade of a not-so-honest associate. Never reach out to the needy, And you'll never be taken advantage of. Never give your heart away. It'll never be broken. Never go to Cyprus. And you'll never be subjected to a dizzy, heart-convulsing confrontation with Satan. Seriously, following Christ. And you will experience a gamut of sorrows. Almost completely unknown to the unbeliever. But of course, you will also know the joy of adventure with the Lord of the universe. And of a spiritual victory as you live a life of allegiance to him. Have you found that to be true, those of you who are on the playing field? Just two weeks ago, our family was on Hatteras Island in North Carolina visiting the Volkmans, and we were in a wonderful little Baptist church there where the pastor was just opening up his life in transparency. And he said, when I began the ministry, I, I started in a few years, and I got so discouraged that I quit. I was listening to an author that I appreciate, Paul Tripp, just yesterday, and he was speaking about a similar experience. Two or three years in the ministry, and, and I'm pouring my heart into the gospel and into these people, and I am so discouraged. And someone came up to him and says, Listen, if all the young ministers who, who when they face discouragement, run, then then where are we going to get our mature pastors from? And by the way, those experiences aren't much different than mine. We were in Flint, Michigan. Our ministry started out and things were going so well. And then so much opposition and so much discouragement. And I remember taking my old phone. I can remember it was a Nokia cell phone. And and I was walking down to Bennett Avenue, the street in which we live. And I called Pastor Jim, who was pastor at this church at the time. And I just said this, listen, Jim. If this is what ministry is like, I want out. I, I don't want this. And I, have you experienced that yourself? You say, God, use me. I, I want in. I want, you, I want my life to count. And when you do that, there will be conflict. There will be opposition. And as we look at these verses, there are at least four common causes of discouragement that we see here. First, let me just give you a few of them, okay? One, there's fatigue. We look here at this passage, and we see Saul and Barnabas. And here they've traveled 130 miles to get to this coastal town. They've taken a boat ride, and then 90 miles across Cyprus. I likely, they are very physically fatigued. And when we don't get sleep, we're not eating good, we are more susceptible to discouragement, are we not? I'll give you a second common cause of discouragement that we see in this passage here, and that is ideals unmet. Unmet expectations. And I think I think in ministry, these are elevated. We think of ourselves, God is going to use me, and, and I'm going to be able to accomplish much for his kingdom in a very quick period of time. And I have these expectations on these volunteers, on these people, and they will certainly carry them out only to find out that that is not the way that it works. I'll tell you this, I was a much better pastor when I was in seminary and I never pastored. And that is true. It was said of G. Campbell Morgan, who, who pastored um, the London Westminster Chapel on his 10th anniversary of the congregation full there in the church, They they were shocked when he says that my first 10 years have been a failure here at this church. And they're looking at, man, look at all the things that he's accomplished. This church is now the evangelical Bible study in the the entire English-speaking world. But his expectations of himself were higher. Discouragement can come when we don't meet the expectations of ourselves, or others don't meet our expectations. I'll give you a third common cause of discouragement that I think we see in this passage, and that is criticism or desertion. You see, John Mark was all good on this mission trip as long as his cousin Barnabas uh, was, was in control. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know up until this point, whenever Saul and Barnabas have been mentioned, it's always been Barnabas and Saul in that order. And it speaks about how Barnabas is the leader. But in Acts chapter 13, there is a switch. Now you have to ask yourself, how would Barnabas have responded to this, this false prophet? Do you think he would have called him the son of the devil? Based on what we've seen from Barnabas, probably not. And it could be that John Mark was like, you know what? If this is how leadership is going to be, then I'm out of here. I do not want to follow this leader. And there is some desertion that goes on here. He says, I'm, I'm heading back. Now, some have said, hey, he, he had a, a mom that was a widow, and, and he was going back to take care of her. Perhaps he got sick. Malaria was very common at this time. And, and all of those things are possible. But one thing is very certain. That in Acts chapter 15, when when Paul refers back to John Mark, he doesn't give him the benefit of the doubt. He sees him as a deserter. That he abandoned the post. That he left the mission effort. And there is conflict there. In the praise of God, it gets resolved years later. But criticism can can just... Take the energy out of us. I was reading about Charles Spurgeon. And here's this great Baptist preacher. And and at an early age, in his early 20s, he took this wonderful church of 5,000 people. And do you know what people said of him? His his brothers in the ministry said, I don't even know if that guy's a Christian. They said of him, he's like a comet that's going to shoot up real fast, but then he'll fade. As they've examined his methods, I'm not even sure he's gospel-centered in his methodology. Criticism, having people leave you can also lead to discouragement. And then I'll give you another one, and that's illness. If we were to look at Galatians chapter 4, we would read that when this mission team, Saul and Barnabas, arrived in Galatia, according to chapter 4, verse 13, it says, you know it was because of a body ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. He came sick. Historians tell us that many struggled with malaria in this region. Wow. How many of you have been sick before and that led to discouragement? Amen? I mean, that, that's what happened. I've got a great friend from Fort Worth that I went to seminary. He, he wasn't in seminary, but he was a good friend alongside with me. And, and, and he is a fireball, passionate about the gospel and the things of God. And when I would see his posts on Facebook, it, it is expressed in that. But over the last two weeks, he came down with the virus. And, and, and I've, I've read and texted him, and, and I, I've, I can see the discouragement in his words. And praise be to God, he is now healed and he is on the men. But illness can also lead to discouragement. Well, let's let's continue in this rest area a little bit before we continue on in Acts 13. So let me give you some gospel helps in overcoming discouragement. Some gospel helps. So we're not going to give you 10 tips to overcome discouragement. Let's just refer back to the gospel here. One, we will see that God is sovereign through this. We could see that that God has chosen you from the foundations of the world. And we can see in that, this teaching, that God is going to work your circumstances out. And isn't there comfort to know that it might be a tough week, there might be a time of discouragement in my life right now, but God is aware of that. I'll give you another word that begins with an S, and it's the word Sanctification. Some would say, Chad, you're not supposed to use those religious words here, but this is a word that we really need to know. This sanctification is just speaking about the moment we receive the gospel, we become a follower of Jesus, but then the gospel enables us to, to live out a life that becomes more and more like Jesus. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So if you are facing some discouragement, realize that God's desire, God's will for you, is to use that to make you more like Christ. And I'm going to give you another word here, the word source. I think this is so important for us. We probably all know of someone that has a physical ailment, some physical pain, and they're not exactly sure where it's coming from. And so they... They go to a chiropractor. They go to doctors. And, and, and all they want to do is find out what is the cause of it. Why? Because once you can find the source, then you can find the solution to it, right? And if you're facing some discouragement today, this week, may the Holy Spirit give you some insight to find out what is the source of that discouragement. It could be... Very well that the source of your discouragement is outright pride in sin. You might be a homeschool family and you're saying, listen, my kids are reading at this certain level, but I've gotten with another homeschool family and their kids are reading at at another level and you can get discouraged. And and what is the source of that? It very well could be pride and your fear of man and your desire to, to be a people pleaser and allow people to think highly of you. It could be that you would say, um, another source of this could be, you know, my husband is not fulfilling all of my needs or my desires. And And if the Holy Spirit reveals that source of discouragement to you, you might see that your pursuit is misguided, that your husband can never do that. Only the Lord could. It could be that your source of encouragement is traced back to, God, my life shouldn't be hard. People in my life should serve me. I shouldn't have to serve them. I shouldn't have to wait. I'm tired of people letting me down. I work just as hard as my neighbors, but they have more and better stuff than I. May God reveal that to you. And through that, you may grow in your understanding and confess that sin. I give you another one, and that is just to be suspicious of yourself. If you're discouraged, say, God, search me, show me. A couple weeks ago, as we were in North Carolina, we were getting ready to go onto this ferry. We had waited there for an hour, hour and a half, and it was, it was our time to get onto the next ferry to go across this Ocracoke Island. And finally, I turned the key and I put it in drive, and we start driving onto this ferry, and I hear this just violent screeching sound. And I'm looking over at Melody, and I'm like, man, people need to take care of their stuff. Why is this so loud? And she says, Chad, that's us. What what are you talking about? (laughs) But do you see, my immediate thought is it can't be me. It's got to be someone else. It turned out to be the bearings and and it worked out just fine. But, But first begin looking at your own stuff. So thinking of gospel helps, God is sovereign. God is working on the sanctification. I'll give you another one, Scripture. Jesus said this in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. That sounds like a command, doesn't it? Let not your heart be discouraged. And then here's the antidote believe in God, believe also in me. So when we are discouraged, what we are doing is we've got both eyes on our circumstances. But well, what we are called to do is have one eye on the circumstances, another eye on the Word of God, and may He give us the faith to believe that. And He wants to work that out. I tell you, the greatest sermon that I've been hearing this week has been a sermon that I've been preaching to myself. As a family, we're memorizing Psalm 1. Boys, why don't you to get up and you can recite that right now, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then listen to verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And, And as we were memorizing that in the mornings, I was thinking, man, verse 3, that's not being lived out in my life right now. My life does not represent a tree that's been planted by the streams of water that has has stability. I've been swept away by my feelings and, and discouragement. And so throughout this week, I've been saying, what are you doing, Chad? Don't you know what the psalm says? Plant your life in the Word of God. May God give you the faith to believe that. And then I'll give you this last one under the gospel helps, and that is service. I think the most helpful word in all of Acts chapter 13 is the next one we're going to read, okay? Look with me. We've been reading through verse, up to verse 13, and we've seen, yes, they've gone on the mission field, and they've hit obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, but look at the first word of verse 14. But. They went on from Perga. And came to Antioch and Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, and he begins to preach his first sermon that is recorded in the book of Acts. So here's my word to you today. If you've gotten off the sidelines, and you've been out on the playing field, and and you're facing some discouragement, don't get off the playing field. With God's grace, with God's help, stay out there. That's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. And as we work through the rest of this passage, we see that there is a wonderful harvest that takes place. So let's consider the next portion of our passage, preaching that declares Jesus Now, I don't know if the first sermon that you've heard today is any good, but I know the second sermon you hear today is going to be really good because it is Paul's sermon, the first one that he preached, and it's recorded here in Acts chapter 13. It says here, Men of Israel, verse 17, the last part of 16, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with the uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took place about 450 years. And after that, he gave them. Judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offering, Offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. Before His coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing His course, He said, What do you suppose that I am? Am I not He? No, but behold, after me is one who is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. So, for the first portion, we have the preparation. In verses 16 through 25, we see what we would expect to see from a sermon here in Acts where the preacher will go back into the Old Testament. In this case, he is identifying God's kindness by providing all these wonderful leaders. But you know this, church family, that it is only a matter of time before he turns this message to the person and work of Jesus. And what would you expect to hear Two different things in Jesus' life, right? You would expect to hear something of his death and of his what? All together, yeah, resurrection. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see both of those right here as he speaks about his resurrection. Look with me at verse 26. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us who have been sent the message of this salvation, For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Listen to verse 28. And though they found him in no guilt, worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him From the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now are his witnesses to the people. So he he proclaims Jesus' death, his resurrection, and then, just in the interest of time, I'll I'll skip to the invitation. Let's look at verse forty-one. Pardon me, verse thirty-eight and following. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers. That through this man's forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You see, the law of Moses could only do so much for the people, it could only reveal their sin, but Jesus alone can save them from their sins. There's a great little story that Charles Spurgeon would tell of a young preacher that, that preached his face off one day and there was an old wise pastor off to the side and he went to him and says, hey, how did you think I did? He said, your sermon was awful. He said, what do you mean it was awful? Did I not handle the text accurately? Well, I guess so. Were my illustrations off? No, no, your illustrations were fine. Did I lack passion and enthusiasm in my delivery? No, all of that was in place. Well, then what was it that made it so awful? He said, your sermon lacked Jesus. He said, my passage here didn't have anything to do with Jesus. He says, that's the whole point. Young man, don't you know that here in England, every road and every little village finds its street back all the way to London? And every passage, and every paragraph, and every sentence, and every word of the Scriptures finds its way back to Jesus, and to the cross, and to the resurrection. And it is your aim, if you want to preach a message, to do just that. So Sunday school teachers, do your people need to hear the law? Of course, but not just the law. And I would say to us dads, and moms, and family devotions, do our children need to hear the law? Yes, but we need to bring it back. To Jesus. It is there where we receive the grace, the forgiveness, and that enables us to follow what he has commanded us to do. So then we look at this passage here. And the, the, the sermon has been preached, and there are people, at verse 42, it says here, then they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. You see, Paul and I have something in common. After our preaching, people beg us. In in Paul's case, they beg him to, to continue to preach. In my case, my kids beg me to stop preaching, amen? But here it says, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord in, in a verse here that a true Presbyterian pastor would appreciate. And as many were appointed, eternal life believed. Verse 49, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, But the Jews incited the devout woman of high, standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Verse 51, But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And then look at verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I would take you back to that crisis moment. We've started out on this mission stuff and it's faced nothing but opposition. We've walked across this whole island of 90 miles and we've only got one convert. And then as you think about our mission team a third of us are gone. What are we going to do? But they kept going and they kept preaching. They would have never got to 52 unless the grace of God had worked out perseverance in their life. You might be faced with discouragement today, this week. You might be going through a season of your life. But look at this passage. Yes, if you are in the playing field, opposition, and may I say the temptation, discouragement is coming. May God work good in your life through that. One thing I have in common with my dad is we love maps. I I can think of a time where we were camping one day and he laid out this map on the picnic table and he says, son, this is where we're at right now. This is where we were. And this is, I think, where we should go. And I think this lake has some really good bluegills. And I've done the same. I've I've kind of tormented my own sons by laying out a map and say, guys, we're going on this road trip. Now here's where we're at. Here's where we're going. We're going to be seeing this. And then this this is our destination. And don't you wish that God would give us a map like that sometimes? This is when I became a Christian. Yes, I understand you're doing a work, but where am I at in this process? Because if I understood that I only had to endure just a little bit longer, I think I could get through it. Our family loves to travel. We love to travel out west. And maybe it's because I lived there for a few years or whatever, uh, maybe it's because I don't like the Gophers or the Vikings, but I cannot wait to get through Minnesota. I'm like, just get me through Minnesota. If we can get through Minnesota, then we can get through South, then we can get to South Dakota and we can see the Corn Palace, right? And, and Waldrug and, and Mount Rushmore. Just, just get me through this. And maybe that's where you're at today. Just, God, help me. Give me your grace. But may I say to you, that God wants to work in your life through this. So don't be in such a hurry to get to the other side. I think we also see in this passage, as we conclude, is that there were people in Cyprus that might not have been open to the gospel, but when they got to Galatia, they were. And we are responsible just to share the gospel. We don't know who and who's going to receive it, but we're responsible to share what a wonderful deacon meeting we had yesterday as we just heard of one man uh, sharing the gospel and um, leading someone to the Lord. and We even heard of a man that was in a, an antique store with his wife, which I think he gets the best husband of the year award if he's doing that with his wife. But there he was sharing the gospel with someone within there. And people are open to hearing during this crisis time. So let us not lose sight of that and maybe do that. Let's pause here, and let's let this word sink into our heart, and then I'll pray. Father, so often I, I think we get duped. We think if things are hard, if we think if we're facing criticism, people are deserting us. If uh, if things aren't going at the same pace that we think, and we get discouraged, and the devil is just feeding us these half truths and these lies and it can become deflating and we want to get off the playing field and we want to get off the sidelines where we can sit on the bench and maybe be critical of the other people on the playing field we we saw today that you are sovereign and these things happen for us to read about so we can say you know what this happened to Barnabas and Saul, that's not much different than what's going on in my life. And you you are taking us through this process of sanctification, of growing. And may we not just get off on that, but just say, do a work. Show me the source of my discouragement. It could be very likely for some in this room, the source of discouragement is that they've never trusted Christ to save them. And so their their life is just off alignment. And today you are revealing their sin. And they need to be forgiven. And I pray that you would give them the faith, the grace to say right, right now, God, I don't want to run from you. I want to trust you. I want to walk with you. I want to follow you, whatever that looks like. For others here today that are followers, Help us to discern the source. Is it rooted in sin? Is it rooted in pride? And if so, help us with that. May we confess that. And may we, may we have the joy of our salvation returned as a result of it. Lord, thank you for your word that, that we are to believe in. And with an eye on the word and, and an eye on life, Help us to have our faith in what your word says. Dad, I pray for service that you would would just enable us to continue on with with your grace. And while there might be roadblocks and and challenges for us, our verse 52 is coming. And if it's not coming in this life, it will come in the next life. So grant us the, the strength to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. He's made it possible. Amen.